Hello and welcome to Sustainable, a simple podcast about complex topics with me, your host, Thomas Empson. Understanding what we can do for the future can feel overwhelming. So this podcast is here to help you understand what you can do on the daily and how you can strive to make bigger ripples. I'll be speaking with influential folk working in design and engineering, the circular economy and environmental impact. Our aim is to reduce the jargon, reuse the inspiration and recycle the sense. So listen in as I ask the experts, are we sustain able? Hello everyone and welcome to the latest instalment of Sustain Able. For this episode, I'll be speaking with Janelle Simunich, Senior Foresight Strategist at the international engineering firm Arup. Janelle's here to talk about Arup's planetary boundaries framework and their conceptual work around a regenerative city for the future. I'll be asking her advice on what consumers, designers, engineers and organisational leaders can be doing to transition towards a more sustainable existence. Janelle, hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Very nice good. To talk to you today. Yeah, no, honestly, thank you so much for, for joining us. We spoke about a month ago and we had a really inspiring telephone conversation, which I felt was wasted on my ears alone. Um, and it's kind of a big part around the inspiration of why I'm doing a podcast, because I think that these conversations that I have behind closed doors should actually be heard by so many more people. And um, if we can just start, if you can introduce uh, your role at Arup um, and, we'll, and we'll start from there. Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, um, I work at Arup, which is a building design and engineering firm. Yep. And I work on the Foresight Research and Innovation team. And so what we do is we look at trends and disruptors and things that are happening today and how they'll be manifesting into the physical built environment in the future. And so my particular lens is more focused on sustainability and resilience and a little bit on technology, which is kind of random. But um, yep. for the last couple of years, my, um, my real focus has been on analyzing the future and focusing on designing for planetary systems. So things like resilience, circular economy, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, how we use technology to enable um, this in our cities and buildings and physical infrastructures. Amazing. Now, before we go into the the work that you've been doing around the planetary boundaries and the the, the report that you um, released last year, can can you just give us a little bit of an idea of the journey of how you got to working in the role that you're working in now? Any kind of key. Um, sort of forks in the road that have, have led you to to be working in that position? I see my career as these two parallel tracks that have recently crossed each other and are, um, are now in alignment. So they were kind of these separate things. But um, so my background is um, I studied engineering first, mainly in civil engineering, and then I went into architecture where I was designing buildings. Um, and for me, that was really nice because I was essentially designing people's futures, so whether yeah. that was a family or an office, the spaces that we designed are influencing how everybody else interacts every day, um, which is really, fa- it was always really fascinating to me to analyze how that works and, yeah. um, you know, like how you can, as a designer, shape how other people interact with each other and influence, you know, their points of serendipity or, you know, how they interact with each other. Yeah. After doing that for a few years, I was I got interested in seeing if we could do that on a bigger scale. So I ended up um, I went back to school and got a master's in city planning, 
And for me, it was the same concept as architecture, except at a larger scale. So how can we design cities and zoning codes and things like that to influence a whole neighborhood or, you know, or the, the citywide, et cetera. And so, um, so that I thought was also then very fascinating to me because, yeah. again, it's, you're shaping these places that future people will inhabit. So it's not just us today, but it's you know, the physical environment that we live in. You know, when we design it as engineers and architects, we intend on it being here for another 50 to 200 years. Absolutely. So it's yeah. not just designing spaces for us, but it's designing spaces for the next generation. Anyhow, um, at that point, I was ready to kind of make a career move and started looking at the company I work at now, AirUp, and I really liked our ethos, which is we shape a better world. And I, um, I sort of landed in this role that is foresight, which is, you know, in my mind, the next clear step to you know, designing spaces for people is now we look at what does this mean for the future. Um, and so what's happening now? How will that play out in the next 50 to 100 years? And then how do I work with people today to design those spaces so that they're still relevant and fit for purpose for the next generation? Brilliant. So it's kind of part um, of that, like a learning organization. You're out there tracking what's going on in the future, pulling that information mm-hmm. into sort of digestible um, chunks for, for, for all of the staff there to, to learn from um, and, and to work with the clients that they work with. Yeah, I usually consider us we're uh, we're more like a, a think tank and a design consultancy, so right. we do a little bit of both. The other parallel is me personally. I grew up in a really small farming town, and where we lived, there's these two rivers that run through, um, and we were prone to flooding. So every yeah. five to ten years, one of the levees would break inevitably and because we had poor infrastructure <laughs> and large neighborhoods or you know swaths of land would flood yeah. and then you'd have to sit there for anywhere from a few days to weeks to months until all oh, the water yeah. subsided and then we could fix it again then from there i moved to new york city and i happened to be there during hurricane sandy yeah. and so to me that was really fascinating to see how you know one of the largest cities glow in the world um, had to deal with this unexpected event that, in catastrophe that came and happened, yeah. and watching how New York reacted to this big storm, um, you know, it, it continued my <laughs> interest in this interaction with land and resilience, and like, what do we do, uh, land and water and resilience, and like, how do we, how do we design our spaces for this? Yeah, and I guess that. And then finally. Sorry. No, no, no. And I was going to say that that word resilience, I keep coming across it more and more often mm-hmm. because this, the, the impacts that we're having on the world and the environment around us, it's becoming a lot more hostile. Um, and therefore, we have to start building our cities, which are predominantly by the sea, to be more resilient in the way that we cope. And I know we're going to come on to the planetary boundaries and the work that you're doing around sort of regenerative design that you know if if we get that right mm-hmm. hopefully that resilience will subside and well yeah i, I always think we'd like to yeah. we're, we're all planning for a utopia eventually aren't we but we're mm. we're, ju- we're just I going through so. the, the crux <laughs> of um yeah a bit of a pickle that we've created as humanity i'm going to move on to the next question now i've read your planetary boundaries framework um and that's kind of where our initial conversation 
happened when we spoke a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, can you, in your own words, explain to us what what are the planetary boundaries and what is it that um, you're doing there for Arup in looking at these and, and how you can work with them? Yeah, absolutely. So the planetary boundaries is a framework that was developed by the Stockholm Resilience Institute um, by by a number of Earth scientists who um, have been looking in over the last 20 or so years, these Earth systems, and the planetary boundaries is a framework where they've outlined the what they've considered nine different Earth systems that we need to, as a humanity, be looking at to help keep the planet in a stable place. Yeah. So it's the the diagram of it. It's it looks like a pie, mm-hmm. and each one of the wedges is a different Earth system. And within each Earth system, there is a science-based target that we know if we know as the scientists and know that if as long as we stay below that number, mm-hmm. then we continue to live in safe operating space on Earth for people. And if we surpass that number, they have no idea if we can keep living here or not. I know. And so to me, this is really important because it's, um, you know, right now we know as a human, just thinking of us as human as animal or, you know, being, Earth is our only known habitat. So I, I think personally that it's extremely important for us to just be figuring out how we can work with it to maintain this place. But uh, Absolutely. So those science-based targets are based on the fact that we know that for the last 10,000 years, we've had a stable operating, stable space, stable planet, and today we don't, it's shifting, and the question is, we don't, or we don't know if it, if we can continue living here or not. Maybe we can, maybe we can't, but we do know we can live in the situation that's gone on for the last 10,000 years. So that's, I guess, the, the core of what the framework is. Definitely, and, and and obviously that you're you'll be in the same mindset as me. Is the more and more you read around it, the more and more scary it gets. But of these nine planetary boundaries, mm-hmm. two are, you know, highly at risk. Another two are getting very close to that boundary. And when I go around and I talk to students, and you kind of that there is a lot of doom and gloom within this space. But mm-hmm. I think that um, I always flag up the Montreal Protocol. So. Um, mm-hmm. For our listeners, the, the the ozone layer is one of these nine planetary boundaries. In the 80s, we could see that the chemical pollutants that we were putting in the air were were eating away at our ozone layer, and that's the thing that stops us getting skin cancer. It stops us, um, you know, it keeps uh, the heat of the planet down. Um, and we could see that the damage that we were doing, and it took a international response to turn that around mm-hmm. so we we can learn from the errors of our ways and it's but sometimes it feels like we're not we're just sort of plodding along so I think that for me it's so inspiring that an organization the size of Arup is already starting to think about right okay how do these planetary boundaries feed into the sustainable development goals which we'll speak about shortly how do they kind of underpin the the work that we can do on the daily and how that can have an impact on the long-term futures. So what we're doing here at Arup, so that was just, you know, what I said earlier was more or less the the concept or the framework of planetary boundaries at large. And like you mentioned, what we're doing here is we're trying to understand how do we use those in the built environment? So Mm -hmm. our question was, can we design and develop a regenerative city or regenerative urban system? Because that's how... We, we really 
we're calling it a planetary boundary city, but the way that I think about it in my head is planet is urban systems because you've got a number of overlapping systems and we have to understand how they all work together mm-hmm. and se- how they work separately but also together and how do we transition them all so that they can be more regenerative um, and essentially help the earth get back to a stable operating space. Because um, one of the, I think, scariest statistics to me was is this whole earth overshoot where we know today we're using 1.7 earth's worth of resources um, and that in itself is not stable. So we're trying to figure out, you know, can we use a city as a catalyst to help push the earth back to like one-to-one? So that would be stability. And then essentially regenerative would be the next step where we use less than one earth's worth of resources. Yeah, and almost so. the, the cities are built in such a way that they're a, they're a part of the organism, which sounds very mm-hmm. scientific and space age, but you know <laughs> we we are some of the most creative. We are the most creative species on the planet. We put a man on the moon, so I'm I'm sure, mm-hmm. you know, the, the reason that you and I are working the space that we do is because we fundamentally believe that we can undo this pickle mm-hmm. that we're in. So. Um, yeah, no. I, th- I just don't think that there's anything else. Like, I don't see anything else worth doing right now. I know that might sound weird, but I'm just like, this is the like, this is what we have to figure out for our species. Yeah. You, like, you, you could like, <laughs> if you we want to keep going, we could all extradite and go to the moon. But if if we can't manage to stay on the one planet that we were given, then that, that mm-hmm. you know, what hope is there of us? replicating that but um mm-hmm. that starts getting into a really philosophical um mind-blowing conversation um <laughs> what what i wanted to ask you do you have a favorite planetary boundary and do you have a reason why oh that's a good question <laughs> <laughs> i'm tor- probably there, there's probably two but i'd probably say bios the biosphere integrity one yep or the, so it's basically biodiversity is another way to think about it. Um, and and, and, that and that, well, yeah, that's sort of, partly that's sort of like ca- the count of all the different species and um, how yeah, it's both flora and fauna, and then the diversity within it, um, yeah. and how we connect or disconnect ecosystems. So I think that's probably my favorite because it's mm-hmm. if you if you really start to like map them out, that's one of the two there's like two core boundaries and they would be climate change and then the biodiversity Mm because a few of the others fit within it but that's really what is you know the key to our existence and our continued life on the planet not just us as humans but everything is diversity and once we start um when we lose that and you know we have species go extinct and whatnot it's it's not good for the overall ecosystem absolutely um did, did you did you say you had a second the other one I kind of like is novel entities, but in part that's because the scientists, or mm-hmm. at least when I've talked to them and read about it, it's more like that's sort of the bucket for all of the stuff that doesn't really fit anywhere, and that's where all of the like human-induced things wind up. So I think that one's like things like plastic, the use of plastics and what, yeah. and you know, recycling and waste and things, and I think that one's interesting because it's not exactly an Earth system, but it's it's all of the other stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. That that big knock-on effect to all of the others. What do you think that individual consumers can be doing um, on the daily? Like, uh, 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 
a part of my podcast is sort of reaching out to other mm -hmm. people that are looking at researching studying sustainability but if i if i wasn't you know if i if i'm not at that stage and i'm just sitting at home and thinking god what can i do it can all feel so overwhelming what would your sort of top tips or advice be to to the individual consumer on what they can do yeah um personally i think that there's just some like there's some really simple things that we can do but the first is just really just understanding a little bit more like i think part of the concern with people at home i know at least like when i go home and visit my family it just people don't it seems too overwhelming yeah so absolutely. um because there's just a lot and once you start digging it just gets bigger and bigger but i think some small things are like recycling your your garbage rather than or your waste rather than just throwing it all in the bin mm -hmm. um and i know there's a lot of cities at least in the global north today that you know they separate recycle and rubbish so something as small as just recycling your packaging for your lunch or if you're going to go out for lunch don't get takeaway sit mm -hmm. there and eat it because then you're not making as much you're not making waste so those are just some small things yeah composting mm -hmm. is another one that i find pretty easy to do but that is really dependent on the city that you're in and if they have the infrastructure to manage compost because if they don't it can be that one can be a little challenging for a for people but other just in your daily commute things like using public transportation mm -hmm. um you know cooking your own food instead of delivery again because of the waste thing yeah. purchasing secondhand clothes instead of just always buying things online and there's also in terms of purchase like clothing and you know goods there's there are a lot of really interesting new websites where you can buy secondhand clothes online Mm -hmm. And I enjoy that because I don't have to go and dig through all the racks at the store to find my size. Yep. It's nice because they've already categorized it. And I'm like, I know my size. So I just go and I see everything. That So it makes it a little bit more efficient and more sustainable because you're reusing things. So. Absolutely. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's that continuous change mindset. And it's really funny that you mentioned when you go back to see your family and that kind of the... It's, it can be so complicated for them to get their heads around. Um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the, the conversations I have with my mother over plastic is just incomprehensible. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. no, I, I definitely, I challenged myself to live a whole week without any plastic consumption. Um, mm. And just things like toothpaste, you'd find that there's one toothpaste that has, um, let's see, aluminium foil. They do toothbrushes that are made of wood. So it, it, it's kind of setting yourself little mini challenges. Like you would go into the gym, I think, and then you kind of just realise, oh, actually, there are certain ways around certain things and you can change that um, those mm -hmm. habits. But um, you know, some really good advice. And then when you look at like an, an employee, whether that's an engineer or a designer, what do you think that they can be doing, um, you know, within their role on a daily basis? Uh, have you got any advice, at, you know, at, at people at the early stages of their career? Yeah, if you're a consultant in any, probably in any field, but in ours in particular, one small thing you can do is just start working the narrative of sustainability into your discussions with your clients. Because even if the first person doesn't change, you know, if your first client, say, say for us, if you're designing a building and you have a new client, and even if they don't 
end up using, you know, more sustainable measures, the fact that you're talking to them will start making them think differently. And so just bringing it up as the narrative, I think, helps a lot. And if you have it on your mind, Mm -hmm. most often what I've found with the people we work with is if the designer really wants to put to be able to make it a little bit more sustainable, so maybe not a net zero building, but a little bit better. Yep. Um, if you can prove to the client the value of it and the fact, and if you can show them that, hey, this will save me money, or this will save me time, or this will save me maintenance fees, right? Yeah. Then most often, most of the time, they're going to say yes. So it requires a little bit more research and back uh, time on the designers end, but it pay. I, I think it pays off in the long run, and it will help. It will help us all. And can I just ask you a question on that point? Do you think that the sustainable sure. development goals have allowed you to have that conversation in a different way? Because something like the planetary boundaries is so monumental, but mm-hmm. I, you know, when you're when you're having those boardroom discussions or pitches with clients, are the sustainable development goals on their radar, or are you still having to kind of educate the client around those? Yeah, I would say most of the time not. Uh, not very many people know what the sustainable development goals are yet. I think a lot of the narrative we've been using is just sustain, just not the goals, yep. not using the word the goals, mm-hmm. but using the terminology sustainable development. And then, and that's really where it just kind of needs to end. The fact that we use the goals and that, so Arup as a company has is adopting them in our people projects and practices but that doesn't necessarily, isn't always communicated to the client. Sometimes it's just we talk about sustainable development and then this is the framework or the metrics or the things that we look at when doing it. Yeah. And just to back up what you said, yep. we, we're not really talking to clients about planetary boundaries yet. No. Not in the sense of building. Like we are in the, in if, if we're talking to people who are designing things like tunnels or geotechnical folks because they understand the earth systems already mm-hmm. so like it makes sense to them yep. but otherwise to us we see them as more of a the planetary boundaries are what underpin the SDGs and particularly the four or five that are planet based yep. um, yeah they, they give the terminology the science behind it yep no brilliant thank you for mm-hmm. clarifying um, last question on the in terms of what people can do when you turn to organizational leaders what what is it that they can be doing do you think on a sustainability level because they're obviously the ones that can have much bigger ripples in terms of the impact that they have um what would be sort of your key advice for an organizational leader around sustainability and planetary boundaries being involved in this here has made me um i guess think of things a little bit different and it, it to me it comes down to people processes and projects and you can do a couple of different things in that. Um, something with, like, people is part of it's just getting knowledge out there and information. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it doesn't matter what organization you're in. You've got enough things to be looking at already. You're not, not everybody goes out and learns about sustainability in their free time. Mm-hmm. So something as simple as just putting up signage by the water faucet of, you know, how water consumption is. Mm-hmm. Or if you have a multi-story building, putting signs by the elevators and the stairs saying you know if you take the stairs you'll benefit by you know you know saving this much energy or you'll burn this many calories or something like that and with the signage in particular new york city was doing this about five years ago 
And that's where I got the idea for that, and I thought it was really cool. So the New York City Buildings Department created these signs, and were willing to give them to any building that wanted them. And they were just giving, you know, they just send them for free. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of cool because I'd start going up and down the stairs, and you see this, like, you saved this much electricity to, by taking the stairs. The other things, just like having, you know, having things like glasses and mugs and, like, coffee cups in the office for the staff to use because, mm-hmm. you know, rather than disposable cups, which a lot of places still have. Um, so anyhow just a lot of little things and similar to what I said with employees is advocating to your clients about sustainable development and mm-hmm. with a lot of people it's it seems that if you have a leader or you know an organizational leader someone who says hey you should do this and or just it's okay to do this mm-hmm. that seems to go a long way just knowing that you have the support of leadership absolutely yeah that 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 central core that is driving the organization um Amazing. Thank you, Janelle. No, right. Now I start to turn to the serious questions. Um, and <laughs> so my next question is, it's quite a blunt one, but do you think we as hum- uh, humanity are able to sustain our current existence? No. Mm-hmm. No, which makes me very sad. <laughs> and so uh, I would say two things. One is, you know, I've been researching this base for about two years now and it's just none of the data none of the findings nothing says that we're going if we keep on the path we're on that we're going to get better um all signs say if we keep on with our current behavior and the way that we're working on the planet all things are going to, to get worse um unless we change so but there i haven't seen any anyhow i haven't seen any research that says that it, it would improve and i'm a person who likes data so that absolutely <laughs> that that's is uh, something that drives my opinion and there's also this new netflix i'm just not that i need to make a pitch for netflix but <laughs> i think it's called our planet it's this new documentary series seven part series with david attenborough uh, as the narrator and i just watched the first episode two nights ago mm-hmm. and it was just was it the one, one with of, the walrus it was no, I didn't see that one. I oh my god! Wait until you get to was. the walrus. But, but spoiler alert! <laughs> spoiler alert! Uh-huh. <laughs> Damn! But it was just so like it's so beautifully done mm-hmm. and so touching, but so frightening because it, it's just I don't know. As soon as I shut it off, I was just like, it was very sad of where we are today. But it also made me very hopeful that being able to get the message out there and get it out there in many different ways will hopefully catalyze all of us to just realize where we are be like okay this is what we're doing we need to we need to do something about it i fully agree so, with you. i'm no- hopeful <laughs> yeah no knowledge is power and i think that you know once mm-hmm. we the mirror is held up in front of our face in a, in a way that's documentized like that yeah you, you can only hope that people respond to it and my next question leading on from that so what do you think um what are your key thoughts on how the engineering community can address that current situation so if 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 your answer is no we can't sustain if 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 we if we turn the lens on the engineering community what do you think it is that they can be doing yeah so my my belief hope whatever you want to call it is that we can design a way out of this and that's why i that's why to me, I'm putting all of my energy towards this is because I think that it's completely possible. So cities today are one of the biggest uh, consumers of things, producers of waste. So 
So if we can really figure out how to improve the urban system and the cities, um, and to me, it's like a city is a system of parts. So whether you're a building designer or you design transportation or roadways or, you know, trains, anything, your city planning, et cetera, I think that through all of our different roles, we can we can design a way out of it just by thinking of things more like electric vehicles or, like I said earlier, different building materials or things like that. And particularly just becoming more educated around things like the circular economy and, you know, how waste, the waste systems, understanding, you don't necessarily need to understand the planetary boundaries, but understanding like where the planet is and yeah. how you need to just transition what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we can really start to make change on that, that's the catalyst that will really drive drive us forward. Absolutely. We haven't even touched on the circular economy. I think that's going to have to, have to be a whole different podcast. Um, but <laughs> yes. it's, yeah, it's honestly it's something that I, I think that, yeah, it, it, it almost gives the, the roadmap or the, the answer of the way that we should be thinking. Yeah. Um, now, the thing with, sorry, the, no, the thing on. with engineers, um, and I think not just with engineers, but with all of us, mm. is it's really hard to understand all of the other systems. So for us, it's like if you're a building designer, you know how buildings work. If you're a logistics consultant, you know how to, you know, transport logistics around a city. If you're an energy modeler, you know how to design energy. But if you're an energy modeler, you probably don't know how the train system runs, right? So to me, part of it isn't that you necessarily even need to understand the whole system because that can also get overwhelming. It's just, you know, being the best advocate of, improved sustainable development in whatever the silo or the space that you're in is that's really the key to that's the key to all of this yeah i fully agree um now my last question is how might someone follow um in your eco footprints and i'm what, what i mean by that is like your career journey so um like, what would be the best bit of advice for someone who is sitting there, they may be doing their A-levels, they're doing their um, first degree, and they're just kind of thinking, how how do I get to somewhere where Janelle is? Like, what would be your best bit of advice? Do the thing that you're passionate about and follow. Mm-hmm. Follow your interests. Like, I've gone through a lot of things that I wasn't that interested in in the meantime. That's just partly why I think I've ended up here is, I wasn't afraid to explore and try stuff mm-hmm. and figure out if I liked it or not. Um, so I think part of it's just that. Don't be afraid to try things. And if you don't, if you try something and don't like it, you don't have to keep doing it. You can change it. And a lot of that's just, you know, belief in the, part of it's just belief in the possible. Mm-hmm. And part of it's having, you know, finding people to support you. So I have, a, you know, career mentors and your boss, whoever that is. You know, having a support system is really helpful in that uh, if you can if you can find it. But brilliant, thank you, such wise words. Um, I'm, we're going to wrap up there, um, but I just wanted to finish by before I give your social media handle. Um, like I said at the beginning, you you really inspired me when we had our first telephone conversation. So on behalf of me and the listeners. Thank you for being someone that we can emulate towards and someone who is just, you know, making bigger ripples within the industry and within the engineering community because it just kind of gives you a little bit of hope when you're that person stuck in a classroom going, 
I want to change the system, but the system doesn't want to change. And it's just, it, it, it really, mm -hmm. it, it gives us hope that there's someone out there like yourself at that level, just working in this area. So thank you for coming along and, and, and sharing your words of wisdom with everyone and being part of the sustainable journey. Um, where can everyone find you on all, all the normal social media? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's all most of my things have my name. So LinkedIn, Twitter and Medium, which is where we're publishing. So the document you mentioned earlier, the Planetary Boundaries Framework. Yeah. Um, right now we're currently working. I'm doing two things. We're working towards um, developing a thought piece, which should be out in the next six to nine weeks. Okay. Um, but in the meantime, we're posting um, short digestible uh, content on what the nine planetary boundaries are. We're doing that on Medium. Yep. So um, once every Thursday, there'll be a post up about the different about the different boundaries. So and all of under, those links will be at the bottom of the of the, of the podcast for everyone to to engage okay. with. So yeah, no, we'll we'll, yep. we'll we'll forward our listeners on. But just thank you so much for giving up your time today. It really means um, the world ironically to me but just yeah just what you're doing it's it's really commendable so thank you for sharing your words of wisdom with, with the listeners um thank you and we'll be in contact soon sounds good and thank you for taking the time being interested and an advocate yeah absolute pleasure thanks for listening to sustainable with me your host thomas empson this is an independent podcast, so the views are my own, and who I choose to interview is a live account of my doctoral research journey. If you like what you heard, follow us on social, check out my website, or leave a review below.